0: Companies, and especially tech companies, are set up as very white systems historically. And so, like most companies, Strava had not operated as an anti-racist company, had a very white team, a very white leadership team, and white standards around everything that we do, unintentionally. It was a very good company, very kind company. We even had DEI programs, and you know, some of which were more successful or progressive than others. The biggest thing that we have achieved, I believe, is the commitment to struggle toward racial equity, to be eyes wide open, honest, and to create real feedback loops around like the actual experience and not like our little whiteboard examples of what might be helpful.
1: That was Strava Chief People Officer, Michelle Bousquet. In this conversation, we get into Michelle's career, her work at Strava and their organization's commitments and pledges to becoming an anti-racist company. And we'll be back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, powering fast-growing companies like Shopify, Rubrik, and Sneak. Automate messages across the employee journey so you never miss an opportunity and your employees are supported every step of the way. From onboarding to becoming a new manager and more, Pin helps companies communicate at scale. Go to pinhq.com for more information. That's P Y N H Q.com. Reinvent communications for the distributed workforce. And now, onto the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I'm really excited to be joined by the Chief People Officer of Strava, Michelle Bousquet. We're going to talk about Michelle's career, the work that she's getting into now, some early detours in and out of HR early in her career, and a lot more. So, Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you just start off with a uh, introduction on yourself?
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, like you said, I'm Chief People Officer at Strava. I have been doing various kind of HR people related people tangential roles for my career which is you know something over 20 years and really just happy to be here and share my experience on on the role and also how it's evolved over that time.
1: Yeah, and so I want to I want to start all the way at the beginning. So you kind of began your career in executive recruiting with Schwab Spend a little bit of time doing that, then left to get into project management, uh, you know, and then found your way back to HR. So walk me through that arc. What, what kind of brought you to recruiting initially? What took you away from it? What brought you back?
0: <laughs> I hope you're not looking for a well-crafted career story. <laughs> because- <laughs> no, I have not. I love. I could actually rewrite history and pretend that those were really deliberate moves, but I'll be honest with you, those were all driven by things outside of the career itself. So I'll tell you, I graduated from college, swore I would never work in corporate America, worked in corporate America about two weeks later when I realized it was easy to get caught up in the principle of it, harder to pay the rent. So at the time, both of my sisters worked at Charles Schwab. I lived with them. The easy slam dunk was go get a temp job at Charles Schwab. And um, so that's really how I landed there. And being in recruiting was truly a chance of where did I get placed? It was totally unintentional. That said, it was a great place to get those uh, just foundations. Charles Schwab was and is a fantastic HR company, one of the leaders around culture, around caring about people, being generous with people, and really, I think, appreciating the impact that culture has on driving company performance. And so I learned a ton there, but I would say the first half of my career was like kind of trying to find myself. And so I got an opportunity to move to London for personal reasons after, uh, and I left Schwab, you know, in 50 seconds because I wanted to travel and just experience that. Came back to a really different economy and it was get a job, find a way to pay the bills. And so um, interviewed and that's where I could get a job. It was in architectural engineering And, you know, and it was, it was incredible. It was like within two weeks, I had my own hard hat with my name on it. I was sitting in, at the time it was the biggest commercial construction project going on in California, the Letterman Digital Arts Center, which was the Lucasfilm campus in the Presidio in San Francisco. And uh, it was just thrown into the deep end, you know, huge 1 million square foot project. And here I am like trying to coordinate. Uh, I I don't even know what I was doing, but The thing that I think I've found in my career, someone coined this term, and I want to give credit to whatever anonymous person it was years ago, but it's the curse of the competent, where, you know, you can do many things. And so, and that's, you know, I've been working since I was 14 and it was like, you know, buy your own shampoo, like pay for college, do all that. So I am masterful at like, do what needs to be done. And I think by bringing that spirit of like, I'm all in, I'm here for it, as well as some intellect and scrappiness, careers open up. And, and the curse part of the competent is like, you also need to pause and go, is this what I want to be doing? Just because I can do it, is this what I should be doing or want to be doing? And so that kind of pause was what ultimately led me not to pursue the architectural engineering, but to say, hey, now that the industry and the, and the economy has settled a little bit, where do I really want to go next? which makes it sound like I'm teeing up a really intentional move. But (laughs) spoiler alert, (laughs) the reason I took the job that I ended up staying at for almost a decade was because one of my best friends worked there. It was like, hey, the next role that becomes available, I'm recommending you for. And that happened to be an EA to the CEO of a financial services company. So naturally, I applied so I could work near my friend. And what what developed there, I think, was just an incredibly rich wonderful experience. And nearly 10 years later, I left as SVP, chief of staff, head of people, and um, really helping lead and guide this wonderful company. And um, so it was an awesome arc.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that that curse, uh, you know, analogy, I, I, I get that, right? I think it, there, it's, it's a gift to be able to have that kind of, um, you know, scrappiness and intellectual capability to do a lot of different things. It's a challenge to then focus on what you want to do. And actually the, the, having the ability to, to clearly identify what you don't want to do to steer yourself away from that, um, you know, that a lot of times takes time to develop. Right. And so the fact you are able to kind of identify that early, um, you know, that likely kind of sets you on this path that you're on now. Um, I want to talk about more about your role at Strava and, um, even going to some of your past role at GoPro as well. But, Really, over that time, you, you've worked in different organizations, you've worked in different environments, you've seen this field of of HR or people operations or however you want to frame it evolve. When you kind of look back to starting your career, to where things are today, what do you see as being some of the biggest contrasts of the of the role of kind of HR and people operations in supporting the business and the people?
0: I think there's profound changes in the role, but there's profound changes in me. And I think that both of those have played a part. um you know, I can only speak to my own experience, so I won't sort of lecture about like what is the role of the people leader at large. I know what it's been in the organizations I've worked in, and you know kind of have a general sense. But the reason I mention it's me is because i want to I want to um, circle back to the like unintentionality of landing places. I think I had a huge turning point about halfway through my tenure at this company where. As I told you, I had I had said I would never work in corporate America. And the reason behind that was like I wanted to have a career with meaning. I wanted to be able to like drive heartfelt impact and care about people and like show up for things that matter. And I suspect a lot of people feel that way. It's like I want to have meaning. And and so the first like I would say maybe 10 years of my career was just this dissonance between like I'm supposed to show up this way, very corporate, like the role of HR, very procedural, very, you know, um, like policies, fill out a triplicate form to get a role approved and like check the handbook. And, um, and I just felt this like dissonance between like who I am and how I am and how I connect with people and what brings me joy and like how everyone's showing up in this corporate land. That's why I didn't see myself there. I have a lot of things that transpired in my personal life, including losing one of my children. And I had a mentor shortly after that, where I was just so upset and so in grief, as you can imagine, and struggling with this, like, should I, I want to go and like, you know, work in a hospital or I want to like do something that's deeply meaningful. And she gave me some really important advice was like, you're sitting in this seat, you lead teams, you have hundreds of people you interact with every week. Like, I know you feel like you want to go change the world through like the Peace Corps or some like something that looks like changing the world, but you're actually like changing it, the world for a lot of people in your current seat. And so, you know, the tidbit was she said, hey, instead of being so so sad that your amazing daughter isn't here anymore. Why don't you spend the rest of your life trying to be as much like her as you possibly can? And just that connection between, uh, I have an ability to shine a light. I have an ability to make a meaningful difference in the like many hours a day for anyone I interact with. And I have a leadership position. So that means I get a big stage to do that. Like what an opportunity. And I think that's when like meaning came together with work. Um, So I want to name that. Um, I think that, so how has like HR changed? It's been an arc too, hard to separate from my own experience. Like I said, it was, I think it used to be about running programs. It used to be about like employing people and it still is, but there was definitely a balance of power where people worked for the company and the company could set the rules and, you know, sort of like, don't like it, you know, go get another job. And, And in my experience, like work has turned on its head. I've turned on my head as well, but the experience of at Strava and I think at many of our peer companies today is, it's a privilege to have these talented people choosing to work here and we better show up and not let them down in this relationship. We better take care of them. We better remember that our entire success and product hinges on these people and that good intention of them bringing their talents here. So let's like act accordingly and I think be a little more humble and a little more listening than we were before.
1: Yeah, well, uh, first, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you sharing that about your daughter. And I'm so sorry to, to hear that. And I understand how that could be such a, a formative um, kind of shaping life event, particularly when you had a mentor frame it for you that way. Um, And I can see how that stuck with you. And and you can hear it in the way you view your role and responsibility to your employees. um, Even today, you know, I think it's interesting hearing you talk about the dissonance piece, because um, I spent a lot of my time uh, kind of comparing and contrasting uh, what I frame as like legacy HR, old school HR, and modern HR. And I think one of, there's lots of you know, pretty key differences. But one of them is, I think that the way that the HR executive shows up is very different uh, in those two environments, where one, it is much more corporate, it's much more formal, it's polished, it's buttoned up, say the right things, do the right things, and seem completely inaccessible to your employees. Um, on the other side, it's it's open, it's it's empathetic, it's compassionate, It is uh, it's vulnerable. In a lot of ways, and people are 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 much more comfortable. I think when you look at people leading those modern people teams, um, sharing their personal stories and their personal journeys, and connecting with employees in ways that those you know kind of more robotic you know archetypes of a business leader couldn't. And so it, it's it's interesting you know hearing that in your story as well. Um, when you when you look at your role, and I want to kind of hone in on Strava in a minute, but you know I know. Uh, before Strava, you ran people at uh, Brandless, and uh, you led HR teams at GoPro. Is there a connection between kind of the GoPro and Strava in terms of uh, outdoor fitness lifestyle? Uh, does that align with you? Am I uh, how did how did those two roles for you connect?
0: Definitely, I think I had again spent this nearly ten years in financial services, and I just grew so much love there. I love the people. I loved the way we showed up for our customers. You know, there was so much there, but at the end of the day, it was ultimately the money business, um, which is less something like I can create a lot of meaning and now I'm pretty masterful at that. But at the, at the heart of it is not something that I'm like deeply passionate about. And so when I got the opportunity to go to GoPro, huge light bulbs flipped on of the experience around integration of, passion brand. Like people who work at GoPro love GoPro and they live GoPro, you know, not all of them, but it's you, I would pull up in the morning, you walk by five vans with wetsuits draped over them of people who have already been surfing that morning. And, you know, it's just like, people are so stoked. I'll use the word, you know, and, and I think there was something really magical and wonderful about Bringing together a bunch of people, not who are only talented, but who are talented and very passionate about living, ultimately living an adventurous and inspired life, and that was a hook for me. is such a. It's a beautiful thing to work on consumer and when it's something that you love and care about. You know, my love languages by far are travel and adventure, family, and fresh air. Like that is uh, to me where it's at. And so, you know, kind of fast forward to being at Strava. There's a lot about Strava that reminds me of GoPro. A lot of passionate people. Um, not everyone at Strava is a competitive cyclist or runner, but it is about a high quality lifestyle you know, it's about like being inspired by yourself and being inspired by others. And so Strava draws a lot of that. And there's just so much like love and vibrancy in the culture that it will be hard for me to ever, you know, that's the table stakes now is when work comes together with like a deep meaning around what you're building and doing.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And so for for listeners and viewers that may not be familiar with Strava, can you give an overview of the the company uh, headcount and then kind of how your people team is structured to support them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you're not familiar with Strava yet, you're lucky because your world can open up. Um, Strava is really the center of connected fitness. And you know, what does that mean? It's a global digital community of athletes, about 95 million athletes on the Strava platform worldwide. And people use it to, you know, the basic unit is to put an activity on there. You go for a ride or a hike or a paddleboard or a run, um, and you log it on Strava. And you can, you know, similar to other social platforms, you can kind of follow people. But what's beautiful about Strava is like it's about the way to be involved is to do something. And so, you know, through that kind of principle of people inspire people, people motivate people, people keep people active. Like there's just a really positive network effect that encourages you to essentially just uh, show yourself what you can do athletically. So um, it's really, this when I say center of digital fitness, it's, you know, your Peloton, all of your other kind of fitness life can plug in um, to Strava and be really that record of like everything you're doing, the ways you're growing and improving and training and everything like that. So Strava is about, it's it's a little bit of an older startup, about 12 years old, um, based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. We've got 300 people on the Strava team, global team. And our people team is made up of five groups together, kind of serving the full employee experience. So those are, we've got people operations, talent team, we have IT and workplace, um, our executive admin function uh, reporting out of there too, and then we've got organizational development and DEI. So those are kind of how we're constructed and... Plug. We have the most amazing people team. I feel like it is a just a gift, uh, and I could never probably find a better team than we've got going at Strava today.
1: Cool. I mean, speaking of the, of the team and kind of your your reliance and uh, on them, you know, you you joined Strava in late 2019, I believe it was December, if if I if yeah. memory serves me right. And so, you know, you're coming in at in, during the before times. You're you're developing a people strategy based on your. Past experience, based on you know what the world looked like then, and you know you're you're probably just just about to go through your kind of initial onboarding period of three months, and a global pandemic hits uh, and turns everything upside down. So what what was that moment like for you, especially as a new leader, having to kind of you know come in, do all the listening tours you need to do as a, as a new leader to develop a people strategy, and then obviously you know flip that as in response to the pandemic.
0: Totally straightforward. (laughs) And so I will comment to that. There were also some things that were going on specific to Strava. So one was during the time that I had left Brandless and was waiting to come to Strava, I got a call from one of our co-founders saying, hey, there's a little change of plans and I'm going to be the CEO. And so you're going to report to me. And I know we've only met once. And so, you know, just adding that in there because Strava had hit kind of a challenging point, had gone through a layoff. Um, Had had founders step back in to really redirect the company, focused around the subscription experience, focused around athletes and like really redirect the company um, in a new way. And so there was also this just like pivotal change moment and kind of a, you know, make or break moment for the company and, and in terms of the energy we needed to create. So I was entering right at that point and then layering on like, and also here comes this pandemic and it was super challenging uh, time, I pride myself on nothing surprises me. I was slightly surprised. By- <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you would have held true to that during a once the generation global pandemic, I would have been thoroughly impressed. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, I do <laughs> adhere closely to rule number one, don't panic. That's a personal rule in our family. You can never make anything better by panicking. So always like take it in. Um, but that, you know rule number one was seriously in play during the February timeframe of 2020. We have this joke where Michael, our, uh, CEO and co-founder, we were like, I think, you know, I don't know. We're not really sure what's coming. Like we should probably do a global like test work from home day because at that point we were very office based and, uh, and it was like, yeah, good idea. So I sent this classic email like Friday will be a global test work from home day. And fast forward, we're still in the test. We never, you know, we never went back, but it was, uh, So it's a very quotable classic, like, we're going to see what we learn and like, we're going to be super prepared. And, you know, I think it's just been number one, it's been actually really gratifying to know that I found myself in the foxhole with the right people. And I have had the privilege to lead through the pandemic in a way that's really authentic to how I think we should lead. I have not checked any of my beliefs at the door around like what actually the right thing to do is and then like kind of shipped something a little bit less than that um, because that's what you can clear uh, because of precedent, because of, you know, people's expectations and norms. Like I've been able to show up in the way I really wanted to. I think because of that, uh, though extremely challenging, it's actually been, uh, it's been some of the most rewarding time of my career in terms of like how can you show up when it really matters.
1: Hey everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to the new Amplify Accelerator platform. The Amplify and redefining HR ecosystem have evolved quite a bit over the last two years, starting with a podcast, growing to a book, and now leading to a full platform aimed at developing and supporting the next generation of Chief People Officers. You know, the mission of Amplify is accelerating innovation at scale, and we now do that through HR executive search services, cohort courses, communities, jobs, and media. That includes the podcast and the book. So you can check all of this out at AmplifyTalent.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, and you've shared how important kind of that partnership with Michael is, um, you know, as your CEO. And I think especially these days when the role of HR is so central in all of the strategic decisions of the business, that that relationship and connection between the CEO and the chief people officer, CHRO, whatever the title might be, has never been more important. So what are elements that kind of makes that partnership for you work?
0: Michael's the best. So I feel uh, even if I were listening to this, I'd be like, well, it must be nice because you work for like the best guy, you know? And so I want to acknowledge that, that it really helps. Like, I actually think if you're, you know, if you're thinking about or looking at a chief people officer job, the number one thing you need to do is go, is this my kind of people? Like, is this someone that I actually see the world in a similar way to? Because if so, then we can be just like a really harmonious pair Because I can help you see the world and translate that into, like, practically, how do we show up? How do we navigate through challenges and all that from my point of view? And then, you know, and you can do yours. But if we're, if we at a baseline don't believe, like, in the same kind of hierarchy of responsibilities toward people, or if we don't, you know, I'll give you a couple tangible examples is at the core of Strava is the belief that people are actually higher than Strava. So when we have a decision to make, like, which would be better for the company, which would be better for people, we always choose which would be better for the people because we genuinely believe, like, if we serve people well and if we take good care, that will pay dividends and we'll succeed. And so if I if we differed on that and if it was like, at the end of the day, it is business, that would be problematic. So part of it is just really establishing that, like, similar worldview you know, there's just like, uh, it's, it's, again, it's been an incredible relationship with Michael. He gives me a lot of trust. Um, I think he, you know, I've never felt so supported in a role. I'm very, I, I've like had to unlearn some of my prior patterns where you go, I have this idea of like how we should show up and I craft this program, but I'm going to like system, I'm going to like finesse it based on what I think I can clear. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna kind of get it like over the line, and it's probably gonna be like you know 50 to 90 percent of what I would have wanted to do. And Strava is like the first place where pretty much everything we've launched has been as I would want it to be. And that doesn't mean like I'm just a professional at getting my way, but it means like there's just a lane to go. Yeah. Like, I trust you, and I think that that's right, and I get it, and and again, Michael's a unique leader because he's willing to put money into these things. Like, we get these pings every day, right? Come join our XYZ startup at XYZ Valuation and XYZ uh, investors and build the greatest culture. De- you know, They wanna build a great XYZ. It's like a cookie cutter, and to me, people usually think about building a great culture after they already have thought about building a great company. And it's really unique to Strava. This isn't like a fix-it job. This is like from the very beginning, we want to build something that can last. We know that means we want to show up for people. And so the company is configured to put money into that. It takes money. It takes a big team. It takes like resources, just like you wouldn't say, hey, we want to have a world-class marketing organization. I hope you can do it with two people. Like that doesn't really work. So it's in Strava's bones is like the appreciation for people and culture. And so therefore makes it easy to work with Michael and easy to be here and lead um, or easy. <laughs> ish. Uh, yeah. As easy as
1: one of uh, your roles can be in the yeah, uh, in the current so simple. climate.
0: Um, simple, but not easy. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, I do want to you know, learn a little bit more about one of the programs uh, that you have on the kind of people and culture side and really broader than that. Um, you know, Strava had come forward to, you know, make a, a pledge to become becoming an anti-racist organization. And I'm curious on the kind of people and culture side of that. Um, what are you doing to realize that? How, how does that organizational pledge change how you think about and, and not just think about, but design specific programs to support that on the people side?
0: I'm glad you brought this up. Becoming an anti-racist company is a huge aspiration for Strava. So for anybody, like, again, who's talking about this or also trying, like, please know, no one knows how to do this. Like, anybody who acts like they know exactly how to do this, I don't think actually does, with all due respect, because it's super complicated, because... Companies, and especially tech companies, are set up as very white systems, historically. And so, like most companies, Strava had not operated as an anti-racist company, had a very white team, a very white leadership team, and white standards around everything that we do, unintentionally. It was a very good company, very kind company. We even had DEI programs, and you know, some of which were more successful or progressive than others, but they were definitely DEI version one. And after our commitment to becoming an anti-racist company, I see it as like version two. You know, I could go through kind of all that we've tried. The most humble acknowledgement is a lot of the stuff we tried had zero impact toward racial equity whatsoever, and was like a really nice program. So, you know, in the early days, it was like, oh, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And we started, you know, it was like, we did a two-week anti-racism accelerator, we called it, where we like stopped work for the entire company and put people through these classes and workshops and this and that and this and that, and got out of it. And it was like, wow, I think we just ran like a really effective anti-racism accelerator for white people. Because what was the experience of sitting through some of that aha and learning, like how obnoxious must it be for people of color to watch white people come to the realization that we live in a racist country, like pretty obnoxious. And so I give you that as an example of like, we tried all these things and um, the biggest thing that we have achieved, I believe, is the commitment to struggle toward racial equity, to be eyes wide open, honest, and to create real feedback loops around like the actual experience and not like our little whiteboard examples of what might be helpful. So, but I'll give you some practical examples of like things with traction, peering into Strava, like our entire management team takes time to talk about and examine racial inequities, anti-racism, basically every week. Um, And we, right now, we're in the middle of an every other week intensive where our whole management team gets together and we talk through frameworks and different, um, different aspects. We restacked our whole talent process, starting with the belief that every open role is an opportunity to make our team more representative of the global community we want to serve. So, I'm not a fan of quotas. I don't believe in numbers. I uh, I actually get like a pang when people talk about, you know, like we're, our goal is to like get this number to, you know, 8% black or African American. It's like, what will doing that actually mean? So we start with a much more higher order is like, I want every team at Strava to have the rich intellect and lived experience of a variety of different people. I want every team to look like it has diversity. I want it to have intellectual diversity. I want it to be like the best definition to me that's building the best team. And so when I say we've restacked it, it's we start with that approach. We work really hard to build pipelines that are very representative and then we choose the best candidate. We have like really strong and solid partnerships with hiring managers in this ambition. Uh, Simply put, like it isn't the best process if all we talk to were white people from tech. It just isn't. So we work hard on pipelines. um, We've done a ton of education. We've done a ton of handholding. And we're still, you know, it's a work in progress, but we've really changed the demographics of the company. We've also focused intensely on like leadership demographics because that's where a lot of it breaks down. It's like, great, we have a really diverse intern program, it's like, but who's making the decisions? Who's holding the power? Is that all people who are white? Um, And that's harder, those rules are more scarce. But we've had like some really, really positive success, and you know the last kind of barriers are actual most senior team, which is still very white, but you know work in progress, and um, and we've made some really meaningful steps, and we're really open about where we haven't, and like what we're doing about that. So those are a few examples. It really does go on and on. You know we show our you know representation and statistics on our website. We write honestly and openly and speak honestly and openly to our team about where we are and where we aren't. We've configured teams, even product development to have anti-racism threads within all of our product development planning. We have pretty robust ERGs. Um, we restacked our company calendar to be more representative of the different holidays and not, you know, kind of sticking with the status quo and just, so it's just things like that. But I think at the end of the day, the thing we've done most successfully is just commit to be in it.
1: Yeah, well, I I appreciate you sharing kind of uh, you know where where you are and what your experiences have been, and and doing it in a a way that's real. Like I think uh, for companies that are making these pledges, and you're right, like nobody's got this solved. These are pledges. These are aspirations. Um, There's no finish line to this work. Like this is ongoing work, and and you will try some things, and you have to realize that you're going to make some mistakes and trying some things that aren't going to work or make that center on whiteness, because this is a new thing that you're like, Hey, let's do this thing. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, let's, we're not really thinking uh, around all the perspectives of, of what the impact of this thing might be. So I, I appreciate you sharing kind of what you've done and what you've learned um, so far. I think those are good lessons for, for other HR leaders that might be um, you know either contemplating, you know, pledges like this or maybe themselves in, uh, in the work. Um, and then again, you don't have to, you know, it's great. I think that you can make a a formal pledge as a company and and show that level of commitment. Um, but not all organizations are going to do that. And as a leader, as an HR practitioner, you have the ability to do that, to take the initiative on yourself, to do what you can, uh, you know, in this space. And so even if you're in an organization that maybe isn't ready to make a pledge like that, don't let that hold you back, uh, in your own efforts. So, um, I've really enjoyed learning more about your your career path and your role. Uh, I want to kind of wrap up this episode as we always do, which is with our lightning round to help the viewers and listeners get to know you a little bit better. So, uh, you ready to jump in? I'm.
0: Um, I think so. K- kind of. A sort little of. Bit. Um, <laughs> what does jumping in. Mean? <laughs> we all, uh, I don't even know what I, I'm, We're jumping in means uh, you know we
1: are we are now going to commence the lightninging. That's not even a word, but I'm just going to use it anyway. Right. Uh, let's open with music. Uh, I'm a big music fan. We always open to some music. Uh, if I'm checking out your Spotify playlists, who am I going to learn in your top three artists?
0: Well, be careful because my kids also use them. So just saying, it's a hard algorithm to crack. But mine, um, I'm going to go with Radiohead, uh, Sia. Love to get like pumped up in the morning with Sia, and then a classic Patty Griffin, feeling a little more soulful. Uh,
1: What is your least favorite HR buzzword?
0: Well, can I say HR itself with all due respect? Absolutely. I think just the idea that human resources, uh, they're just people, you know, we're just people. And um, but my second is seat at the table. I feel like if you're talking (laughs) about getting a seat at the table, you're not focused enough on like adding the kind of value that makes that not something you have to talk about.
1: Yeah, you, I mean, you can use that term if it's in irony or in mocking, but if it's in sincerity, I uh, I, I quickly kind of tune out because it's just a, you're at a different place uh, if if you're thinking that you still need to be striving for that. Uh, what is your favorite? I know this is a is a is a pointed question for somebody who leads all the teams, but what what is your favorite HR function?
0: I know I feel like I can't answer that. <laughs> um, I mean, it really does like tug at my heart. Um, I think at the if there's a favorite. I don't have one honestly. I will say there's great impact in organizational development in thinking about like, how do we help support people, coach people, guide people through a mastery of people, um, and how can that translate to really deep outcomes that aren't as like tangible as some of the other functions. Uh, if you weren't working in the people space, uh, what would you be doing? I'd be a nurse. I really would. I would go back to that calling and just say it's still the same. It's about supporting people through tough stuff. Um, But yeah.
1: And uh, last question, Michelle. Uh, Who is one uh, HR leader, people leader who you admire and why?
0: Yeah, I got to go with Jeff Ryan. Jeff Ryan, the chief people officer at Zynga and uh, a mentor of mine is just the thing that I admire about Jeff and we worked together when we were at GoPro um, was he often looked very much like the COO. He was in and through everything, and he deeply connected, like, where are we trying to go as a business with how can we get there with the people we have and how can we have fun doing it? He trusted people, built a great leadership team. It's just like masterful at bringing people together and helping them shine.
1: Great. Well, uh, Michelle, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the uh, podcast and share your uh, career story and your work. And uh, thanks so
0: much for making time. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.